What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Mul Sayed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. Happy holidays. I hope you're enjoying some time off with your loved ones as we move closer to the end of the year. Yes, 2022 is almost over. Crazy, isn't it? Looking back at the year, this will probably be a year that will forever be remembered in Web3 uh, for the good and the bad reasons. It obviously had its ups and major downs. But all in all, we can see the future of this industry being built every day before our eyes by passionate creators, entrepreneurs, and educators. Our guest today is surely one of those individuals. He's a former poker player who also happens to be an entrepreneur, NFT trader, and Web3 educator. He writes amazing daily and weekly substacks and is also a huge generative art collector. If you haven't guessed it already, we have the founder and CEO of Zen Academy today on the show, Zanika. Hey man, how are you? How's it going? Hello. <laughs> Incredible intro. Thank you so much. I feel great today. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited about this one as there's a wide area of interesting topics that, that we're both passionate about and that I'm very much looking forward to discuss with you. But let me start with this one. Um, you know, it's widely known that you were a professional poker player uh, before going into crypto. I often like to start by asking people about their Web3 lightbulb moment. What was yours like? Do you actually remember it? I do, actually. So I, I first got into crypto in 2017, um, but it wasn't really in a really significant way. I was like dabbling and buying some coins and not really understanding what I was doing and just, you know, YOLO trading over the place. And it was fun because prices were going up and then the 2018 bear market hit and i was like all right that was that was fun but let's go back to real life um and then in 2021 in february i had a friend ask me if i knew what an nft was and i said no and he started telling me and i thought it was a scam as i think most of us do at the first at first but uh about two three weeks later i read an article uh by packy mccormick it was called it is called a power to the person or power to the people, I forget exactly, but uh, it's basically all about Web3, NFTs, the creator economy, and all of this stuff that was coming. And um, yeah, basically just that was like a bit of a light bulb moment where I was like, oh, it kind of clicked and it made sense. And I was like, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. I see why this is going to be useful and impactful and make a big difference and why it's a big deal. So that was you know February, March last year. I had that light bulb moment about uh, Web3. Great timing. Uh, and you know, talking about NFTs, um, you've obviously done pretty well trading NFTs, and I can see why. There's a lot of parallels with with poker. Um, but then you started focusing heavily on education, which is something that I really like about you. Um, you know, you've been focusing on how to empower communities to safely navigate that space. Why is that? Why didn't you just focus on you know just trading NFTs? Why Why did you you know kind of go into education right away? Yeah, so I started. It was sort of happening in parallel. Like during last year, I started my newsletter and I was still very much trading a lot. But uh, after a few more months, I realized you know, trading is very stressful. It leads to burnout. Uh, 
it's you know there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of fomo and uh it's very tumultuous and i'd just been a professional poker player for like 16 17 years and so like i didn't really want more of that but i think even more importantly it was it's not really fulfilling or rewarding it's very competitive and pvp and zero-sum game whereas in uh when it comes to like creating content, it was something that was actually helping people and having an impact in other people's lives. And I think that was something that I was like, I really felt like I was contributing to the space or contributing to society in a way that I never really felt before. And so I just really wanted to lean more heavily into that. And that's why, um, yeah, Zen Academy was really formed out of that, that place. That's fascinating. I actually got to know you through your, um, I think it was uh, Artblocks uh, letters that that you mm. that you wrote. I think it was around that time, if I'm not mistaken. And um, how, you know how far you went into the analytical aspect of you know generative art, combining that with with everything that would make it a little bit more accessible towards newbies was just fascinating. And you know, it's crazy to imagine that that was over what a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit more than bit. that. Yeah. yeah and and you know a year in crypto often often feels like a decade right uh, so many things happened in 2022 uh what do you think people will remember about 2022 wow 2022 i think it's just going to be remembered as like the big bear market <laughs> um <laughs> and the year of like black swan events like you know luna three arrows capital uh ftx it's just been one disaster after another after another i'm i'm, I'm certain i missed a few in there as well um and it's just going to be remembered as like a catastrophic year for crypto but i think and a catastrophic like macro is also terrible like inflation's high tech stocks are tanking tremendously it's all kind of bad i think crypto is holding up relatively well all things considered so mm -hmm. it's showing showing it resilience that it probably wouldn't have shown five years ago so that's um it's exciting to see it's it's uh, optimistic to see and yeah i think we'll just look back on it as a, a really big uh bearish year and hopefully a lot of learnings to come out of it that's very interesting because you know on the flip side you see um you know corporations like credit coming into the space you see starbucks you see mm -hmm. nike um all of these like different polygon um partnerships that they've announced in the past and you could you know if you could look at it from an, another perspective and it could also be seen as the year where a lot of like different um mass adoption uh style of, of brands came into the space yeah. Um, which is funny, right? Because the market's been, it's been, you know, it's been terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the flip side, you kind of start getting these more, I would say, um, thought um, thought through uh, type of initiatives where during a bear market, it, I actually think that corporations have the time to think it through and develop strategies to come into the space rather than, in, you know, in a bull market, everyone's just reacting. Um that's that's definitely definitely something that that that's interesting and that that's very intriguing to me. But you know, we obviously still have a lot of things to do. What is what do you think um, it takes for the space to to cross the chasm? Yeah, I think I think we're starting to see it. Like Reddit was a great example where they didn't use the word NFT. They let people buy with a credit card. It was very you know like easy for a a newcomer to interact with the technology and, and buy a digital asset. And I think we just need more um, infrastructure improvements that sort of abstract away the technology because currently it's really just overwhelming and daunting to sort of set up a wallet, fund it, um, you know, ha sign a transaction, uh, you know, use MetaMask and especially DeFi and liquidity pools. It's all kind of complex. And I think uh, what we need is, 
infrastructure improvements to abstract the technology away and make it easy and safe and understandable for like an average consumer or average user to be able to use it in a way that's really easy and straightforward and simple. Uh, and that's just going to take time. We just need a few more years, I think, of building and developing protocols and, and best practices and um, industry standards and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in parallel to that, I think just continued education about why Web3, why blockchain technology is important and why it's going to have like, it's going to impact lives um, in like a, a positive way with like real world use cases. I think for the most part, people say, well, you know, what actual utilities are for NFTs or like, why why are you doing this as a Web3 project? Wouldn't it be better as a Web2 project? And for a lot of things, yes, it would be better as a Web2 project. But there are, there are areas where um, the technology, just like being able to use a smart contract and do something without trusting a third party, it allows for lower fees and faster transaction speeds and all sorts of incredible things. And so I just think just continuing to educate people on like the real importance of like what's possible with all of this, why it's important and... Uh, yeah, as mm-hmm. time goes on, you know, adoption will catch on and infrastructure will improve and uh, yeah, more and more people will be interacting with blockchains whether or not they know it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, the silver lining with everything that's been happening this year is uh, really uh, the fact that people understand that, you know, self-custodying your asset is, is, is definitely something that you should be looking at. Uh, from the get-go and we've been trying to do that for a couple of years to educate people about um you know the importance of self-custody because that's that's at the end of the day the ethos of the space right if we want the space to be decentralized you need to self-custody your asset but i can tell you that we had a very hard time convincing people to do so uh at the beginning at least um obviously developing a lot of content and all of that and, and making sure that we're there out there you know for the communities um, that need education but then it, it just takes one Celsius or one FTX and, and mm. then there is, you know, everyone waking up to it. And and I think that it's going to be like a constant development of infrastructure getting better and then just the context making um, it seem like it is actually yeah. something that is obviously uh, is an, an essential thing for the development of the space. But there's also something that you touched on at the beginning of your um, um, answer that I think is very interesting um, about Reddit not using the word NFT it's kind of a branding thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you think about crypto, NFTs, all of these words, kind of people kind of, you know, I don't know why. Probably I do know why, but uh, not not to that extent at which it is today. It has a very negative, um, you know, perception. Why do you think that is, and what do you think is the the, the solution to that? Yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, like prejudiced, preconceived notions about crypto being a scam used for money laundering used just only to buy drugs and all sorts of illegal activities and then they see you know people losing money and and ponzi schemes and all of it and it's understandable that people have a bad reaction towards the space because there has been so much negative press around it and so much bad stuff has happened but i think um so yeah it's definitely a branding problem and i think that uh as time goes on either this the industry will start using different terms and sort of people will fall in love with the technology without realizing it's the exact same thing as crypto blockchain nft technology mm-hmm. um, or uh you know people will just start coming around to realizing it's actually not that bad it's kind of like email in the 90s where people were getting scammed left right and center with you know email scams but doesn't mean the technology is bad it just means that we need better infrastructure like spam filters and we just need better education so that people know not to give the credit card info to someone emailing you telling you you won 10 million dollars or whatever it is and i think that um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of lessons 
parallels really to the, the early days of the internet and so many other parts throughout history. So I think that um, honestly, just the biggest thing we need is time more than anything else. Yeah, I think so too. And and coming back to, to you know, um, this overlap between culture, NFTs and, and education, um, obviously NFTs and culture are a huge catalyst for blockchain Web3 adoption in a more general sense. And if you think about it, you can be an NFT collector without self-custodying your assets. Uh, yeah. So in some way, it's the least technically savvy people that had to deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously, if you're a hedge fund manager, if you're working in DeFi, you always had other options. You could, you know, basically um, uh, use an exchange or, you know, whatever whatever other solution that includes multi-sec, etc. Uh, but to your point, you know, you've quickly understood that education is essential in the, in the Web3 space, especially in the NFT, uh, I would say, category. Uh, and you've launched Zen Academy. Could you give us an overview of what's that all about and, and why did you launch it in the first place? Yeah, so I launched it in November last year, 2021, and it was really my desire to move away from flipping and trading and to just build a community, to build a platform, to build a thing with the focus being on content and education. Like I knew I wanted to be like full-time Web3 and dedicating all my time to this. And but at the same token, I knew that, you know, if I was doing that and like not trading as much and I had no other source of income or anything like that, you know, I have bills to pay, family to help support and... Um, I wanted to try and figure out how to sort of monetize content or like create a business out of it all. And, you know, the, the Web2 model of, you know, monetizing, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast is, you know, you, for a newsletter, you maybe have a paid newsletter or you have a Patreon or you have, you know, there's sponsors and affiliates and all sorts of things that there's nothing wrong with those. But I, I just figured, you know, this is Web3 and I'm really into NFTs. Let me just experiment with selling an NFT that gives access to, Zen Academy. Um, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to just continue to build up um, something and bring the community along for the ride. And so it really just started out as, as an experiment and um, has grown into, you know, now a year and a bit on, you know, we have, it was just me then. Now there's a team of 20 of us. We have expanded our content and education material across like a variety of mediums where it used to be just, it was like my newsletter. Uh, I had a podcast that I co-hosted that was more entertainment and information um, and some Twitter threads. And now, you know, we have a daily newsletter. We have a weekly newsletter. We have um, three video courses on like how to launch an NFT project, how to build a community, mental health. We have an email course on um, just 30 days of NFTs. So it's like getting up to scratch about the NFT space from starting from zero. And we're building out that course. We're going to do 30 days of crypto next where we just, the, the design, the idea is that it's this course done via email to sort of, you know, help onboard people in a safe way into the space. It's not overwhelming. So, yeah, it's just been kind of a wild ride where we didn't really have a, a vision or a plan for where we were going. It's just sort of been adapting to the space and coming up with new ideas and trying new things and see what works and see what does doesn't and uh, continuing to just build a community and, and hopefully attract people that you know, like what we're doing, like the content, um, want to sort of hang out and then connect and network with other community members. And, you know, we're starting to see some really wonderful initiatives come out from the community itself. And yeah, I mean, like, I'm really excited to see where we go next year. It's just like a lot more of the same, just continuing to build up um, different types of content pipelines with, with the focus being on education and uh, onboarding actually at, at this point in time. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And and maybe I'd like to go a little bit more into the details of how people can actually access an academy because obviously your Substack is free. Um, I get your daily and weekly newsletters uh, in my inbox, but then you have your NFTs. So what what does the NFT give you as a collector in terms of like additional perks? Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of our content is free. Like we, I, I really didn't like the idea of gating educational content. So um, mm. the only content, or the only stuff that's not free is if you have the NFT, you can get full access to the discord and so that's just like for a private community of collectors or community members who just want to maybe yeah, they a little more serious about being part of the community education learning networking and and have taken that step um that said we do have a couple of channels on the discord that are open to everyone as well and we're going to be releasing a new free nft in the future that that will also um give some access but um so yeah discord access and with that like things like giveaways discounts perks and all the standard stuff and then um the three video courses i did with nas academy they're like 10 to 15 hour structured courses um those they're they're a paid course so either you have to go to nas.io and and pay i think it's like a monthly amount i don't know what it is right now or if you have one of our nfts you get it for free so like those are the, the only two major things that are like gated behind behind the token and and like coming up we have we're doing a pfp um which is like free for existing token holders so like that is really just i don't really consider a pfp utility per se and it's certainly not educational but it's like we're doing it for fun because we want to reward our community and and like bring people together and and give them something to like you know if they want to use on social media to represent themselves and and find other community members but so um yeah, that's another thing. If you have the NFT, you'll get the the PFP. But um, if someone just wants to be like, uh, I don't consider someone needing an NFT to be part of the community. I think if someone wants to be part of the community, that that's enough. They're already part of it. They can just read the, one of the newsletters or just listen to one of the podcasts or follow us on YouTube or chat in the free channels in Discord or whatever it is. And that's like, you're still part of the Zen Academy community. Um, there's just, I guess, kind of think of it in different tiers. And uh Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense about education, you know, being free and accessible to everyone. Um, I think that, you know, is is really deeply ingrained, I would say, in, in, in what most of the projects are trying to do in this space. Like, the more we do education all together, the more we get people into the space, the more people feel confident enough to safely navigate it. We should do stuff together, uh, by the way. We have Ledger yeah. Academy and a lot of, like, different educational content on there. I'd be happy to partner with you guys. I would love that, uh, yeah. But, um, and yeah, but coming back to your vision, long-term vision about about Zen Academy, what what would you say uh, is is your long-term vision for it? It's a really good question. Um, so like, if I, I sat down and thought about this a few months ago, because today we're focused a lot on education about NFTs and onboarding, uh, but if I was I looked out like ten years from now and I said, well, I'm, I believe in ten years people won't need to be onboarded or educated about NFTs the same way they are today. It's you know. By then, maybe even in three years' time or five years, people will just be using the technology. It'll be in the background. People won't need the education on that front. So then it's more about um, being adaptable and like providing education and information on... I guess at the core of it, it's just like helping people. It's like whatever it is, it's like if we can help people by educating them on whatever or by helping empower the community members or um, helping you know, connect and network them, run events, uh, whatever it is. I think that is the core of it. And helping people comes in a variety of ways. A large focus of that today is educating people about the crypto and NFT and Web3 space. Um, in a year or two, maybe it's going to expand to something else. Um, I'm. You mentioned AI at the start. I'm fascinated by AI. I think like that's, you know, 
large part of our lives in the next few years are going to be consumed or like a lot of the conversation is going to be around AI and a lot of people are going to want to like understand how to use it and, and what you know pitfalls there are and what to be aware of and um, for me that's something that fascinates me and I think that a lot of people are curious about it and so I guess you know taking complicated content and topics and information and like distilling it in a, a more easy to understand way is something that we've done with web3 and nfts and we could probably do that with other things like ai mm-hmm. or you know whatever other topic um or technology that may arise in the future so yeah mm-hmm. the, 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 honestly the whole vision is just like trying to continue to help people and, and just build a, an awesome community around that ethos yeah we'll get to ai in a bit but it's crazy how you know the potential for ai to revolutionize education right um mm-hmm. and to enable um a more democratized access to education more personalized you know i don't know if you if you dabble with gpt3 but you know gpt3 is basically my sparing partner i i i basically spend so much time with gpt3 and it feels like if in the future you know children in 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 developing countries could have an ai that could help them learn in their language using their methods using what's optimal for their own way of learning and their own mm-hmm. culture i think i think the word is just going to be radically different right yeah. and and it's fascinating um but you you mentioned community building and i, I want to talk about that um for for a minute i i think people underestimate how hard it is to build a community in this space uh, and i I, I i can totally yeah uh, uh you know it's, it's it's actually fascinating but at the same time it's very challenging the, the bottom-up model is revolutionary, but then you have to manage a community and its expectations and, and all of that, which is hard to do in, in general, but it's even harder to do during a market downturn. Um, what do you think is your recipe uh, for building a project hand-in-hand with an engaged community? Yeah, I think um, there's a few things. Expectations are impossible in this space. Like Literally, when you, if you're talking about a community of 500, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, um, that's different individuals who are all going to have different expectations. Some are going to want to be there to make money and flip. Some are there to you know, be part of it for five years, 10 years. Some are there for the art. Some are there for the community and the network and all sorts of different reasons. And it's impossible to like manage those expectations and make please everyone. But I think one thing you can do to sort of temper that and, and make it as easy as possible is to like just set expectations very, very low, mm-hmm. under-promise, over-deliver. Um, and that's something that we've done since day one where you know there was no plans or promise or roadmap it was like you get access to a discord server and that's kind of it and we'll just see where that takes us and you know from there we've had the freedom to like pivot and adjust and try and do new things because no one expected anything different or anything more so i think you know setting expectations realistically and, and low is a really good way to um give you like a bit more freedom and bandwidth to build a community without necessarily upsetting people or you know, mm-hmm. you know inviting fud um the other thing is just like it takes a ton of time and like a lot of engaging people on like an individual one-to-one basis, whether it's you um, as a founder of a project or like other members of the team or community members that maybe you um, empower or even deputize and ask them, you know, that maybe you give them some perks or roles or um, merch or free things to like be community, community ambassadors or whatever it is like that. It's just like, it takes a lot of handholding and the personal touch. Like it's kind of like, you know, if you take web three out of it and, and look at, you know, community building and all that in the, in the real world and web two, there's so much like, um, experience that we can learn on and grow from like things like you go to a, uh, 
go to your favorite restaurant and they, they, they greet you and they welcome you and, you know, there's a, they know you by your name and it's like a really good feeling because it feels like you're part of, you know, that, that family, that community. You go to, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is, your local pub or, you know, your, your, um, you go to watch a sports uh, event at the same place with the same people all the time. And it's like you get to know them and you, it's a community and it's like it's that kind of stuff that we're trying to replicate online and it's difficult because you know you you have a lot less to work with usually it's just text-based occasionally you do stuff in audio or video but um it's it requires a lot of time a lot of you know intention and a personal touch to really make those Mm -hmm. deep and meaningful connections but once you do it really it's is a really powerful thing where you know one by one you you build connections to people and and they feel connected to a, a community or to certain people in a community and then you know that network effect starts to slowly grow over time. And, you know, for us, it's taken, you know, a year plus and almost 18 months, really, if you, you start from back when I first started content. And, um, you know, we're still, we're, we still have a long way to go, I think. Like, we still really want to keep growing and pushing and, and, and um, becoming a uh, larger community. But it's really just, for us, it's always been quality over quantity. So we've just, you know, focused on one person at a time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like interesting things you said that um, that I can resonate with, especially with like the, the the flippers thing. I think like one of the things that we're doing at Ledger, um, we're launching actually a gamified education platform called Ledger Quest, and we decided that the NFTs should be non-transferable, um, mm. and we took away completely the speculative uh, financial component from it. And that way, people get into the you know the whole um, experience. They learn, um, and then they get that NFT, but they can't sell it, so they won't have any expectations about you know what the floor price is. Uh, why aren't we doing mm-hmm. enough to you know kind of build more hype around it? And and then it just has utility. And I think that uh, to come back to your point, I think one of the biggest problems that we're currently facing with community building is that people got used to you know what was happening last year in 2021 is that you'd buy an NFT and then you know you'd end up getting rich three weeks later and and. And it took away the essence of what the utility behind that NFT is. What are the different categories of NFTs out there? If you're buying a piece of art, it's just because you like it. It doesn't matter what, what its price is. Obviously, if its price is increasing, you know, everyone's happier. But um, and, and, you know, obviously, you're doing education. It has different utilities. And I think the bear market is going to help us a lot with that. Because at the end of the day, if you're not building a project that has um, value, that brings, a, a, you know, value to its community, uh, then, you know, the, the whole kind of component about what what's the financial thing around it, et cetera, is just going to be uh, flushed away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to kind of switch gears and maybe talk about art, um, um, you know, more specifically generative art. Uh, you have a decent art box collection uh, and, and started pretty early on, right? Um, what what made you think at first? What did you like about art blogs and, and generative art in a more general sense? Yeah, um, I think I liked just the unique use case of the blockchain in like the creation of the art. Where you know, for most other art NFTs, it would be an artist would create something and then mint it to the blockchain and then sell it. But with generative art, the the actual art piece is only created at the time of mint and at the time of purchase. So the the way it works is like someone goes like I go to the website to art blocks to mint something. Um, the mint transaction, it's sort of like there's an algorithm that's been uploaded to the blockchain, and then my transaction, there's a hash, a string of letters and numbers that goes into the algorithm that um, you know impacts the rarity and the the output of the art piece, and so that I as a 
purchaser, collector, consumer, am like part of the process of creating the art. It's like it's a three step process. It's it's me or the person minting. It's the artist. It's actually maybe a four step. It's the artist. It's the algorithm that they uploaded the code, and it's the blockchain, and it's all four pieces put mm-hmm. together to create a piece of art. And I think that that's like. To me, it's like people talk about like digitally digitally native art and you know things that use blockchain technology in novel ways. And I think that there's no better um, example of that than generative art. So like that just really appealed to me and attracted me super early on, uh, and just have just been fascinated by it ever since. It's to me, it's just mm-hmm. like it's the we're at the the dawn of a new uh, art revolution uh, where generative art. And probably AI art as well are the two big things that are going to come out of this uh, decade. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think most people actually think that generative art was born with blockchain technology. I actually didn't really like. If you look at like the fifties and the sixties, people like yeah, it's been Molnar, for a long time. Herbert Frank, all of like these these you know pioneers. But to your point, I think NFTs and blockchain took generative art and art in a more general sense to post-internet um, you know era. Because without scarcity, you couldn't really sell art on the internet. But then the whole creative process with generative art is now happening on the blockchain. And that's that's what's fascinating about it. I think that magical moment of clicking mint and neither you nor the artist know what you're going to be getting is is just something that 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 is, you know, truly experiential, but in such a novel way that has an emotional attachment as a collector when, when you get that piece. You remember the first piece of generative art that you've minted? I don't remember specifically which one, but it was um, on Artblocks. I believe it was um, Hieroglyphs was the collection. Either Hieroglyphs mm. or Aerial View. I think it was Hieroglyphs. And yeah, I minted a few of them because I had a friend, uh, one of the ones that got me into NFTs and it was in a group chat and he just like posted the link to that and said, you know, these are open for minting. Um, they look pretty cool. And, you know, generative art seems to be there's some stuff happening and you could probably flip these for like, you know, three, four, five X in, in a few months. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. And so, so I minted a few <laughs> and then just like, you know, Artblocks was not really having a moment really then. So they didn't set up for a while. Price went down. The floor was below mint for like, uh, I think a few months or at least maybe five to 10 weeks. And, uh, but you know, I sort of got the bug and like always from that point on kept one eye on Artblocks and I would look at the other collections coming out and slowly started minting more and more. And, yeah, like especially with some of the curated stuff at a certain point, it started, you know, instantly being profitable after mint out. And uh, yeah, I just fell in love with more of it and would collect more and flip less. And uh, it was just a wild year last year. That summer of 2021 was insane. Ridiculous. Um, August 2021 yeah. is a moment yeah. I'll never forget. Yeah, pre-Dodge auctions. That that was, that was yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, and and how are you, how do you approach collecting during the bear market? Are you still collecting? Or are you trading? Um, you know, w- what are you currently doing in this in this market downturn? I'm not doing much trading, collecting uh, a little bit here and there. Like I'm picking up things that I really really like, but uh, I'm just I'm focusing more on like the building side, the Zen Academy, the content, the business side, uh, and just less on trading, flipping, buying, selling, collecting, anything mm-hmm. like that. It's it's I just, yeah, I would like to spend a bit more time because I think there's some really great opportunities, but it's just not a top priority for me right now, unfortunately. Yeah, I I, I feel you. But 
you know, obviously you're a big fan of generative art, big fan of art blogs. Have you have you dabbled a little bit with FX Ash and, and what's happening on Tezos or not much? Yeah. No, I'm a big fan. I started collecting huge almost a year ago, like December twenty twenty one. So not long after it came out, really. Uh and yeah, I've I've I just just like everyone else, I just never have Tez in my wallet. I'll like I'll have some and I'll go <laughs> and just buy some and I'm like, Oh, I just need more Tez and then I just don't for like a month or so and then eventually I fund it and then like within three days it's all gone again and yeah, absolutely love FX hash. Again, it's like it's tough to stay on top of because there's a ton of projects. So much and, happening on FX hash. Yeah, don't have the time. So I haven't really collected much lately, but um yeah, just I'm very happy with the collection that I have over there and uh I am a big fan of many of the artists that released there. Uh, yeah, same. Like, FX Slash feels, feels to me like that, you know, underground record store where you go into mm -hmm. the record store and you find vinyls, like, you know, below the furniture, right and left and everything. Yeah. And I think it's it's a different experience than Artblocks, right? Artblocks is really, is. you know, all organized, you know, exactly what's going to be coming next. And you have the whole communication around each drop, etc. And And, you know, I think there's room for both. I'm a big fan of both. You know, obviously yeah. art, the Artblocks brand is huge. Uh, and I think, you know, with the power law, there's a lot that's going to be, you know, coming out of Artblocks um, that will benefit the generative art um, ecosystem as a whole. Um, what else are you looking at? Like, obviously, you're you're an ape holder. Um, you've you've bought a lot of like different PFPs. W where do you see this um, going? And and the you know, I would say in the next few months or in the next year. Obviously, art is is probably uh, where everyone is going today. But you know, you Yuga Labs still has a, a roadmap in front of it. There's obviously with the acquisition of the punks, it's becoming bigger and all of that. What what do you think about that? I guess I'm just becoming increasingly more of an art maxi, <laughs> generative art maxi. I've always been very heavily skewed towards generative art, but like I just, um, I'm I'm finding it more and more difficult to sort of stay on top of and keep up to date with what's happening with all of the new PFP projects. And realistically, like any person can only be like an active community member of maybe three communities maybe five max but it's like really tough to be active in multiple communities at once and i think there's just far too many pfp projects for that um i i'm sure yuga is going to do fine and do great like they've got such an enormous war chest and quite a bit of goodwill i think they lost a lot of goodwill this year but um yeah they they, they could still do really well um but most of my time and effort is like trying to sort of re like if I if I am doing any trading, um, it's like trying to rebalance and reallocate my portfolio to be like less in PFPs and more in art of various varieties. You know, you mentioned a little bit AI art, um, and let's let's talk about AI art first, and then we'll get into AI. What what what's your take on AI art? Um, have you been collecting um, AI art on the blockchain? I Dabbling a little, a little bit. bit with a. I remember um, there was a project about a year ago, Eponym, and I was fascinated by it. It was a mm -hmm. you know, text-to-art generator. I, was, I loved it. It was really cool. And so I have a bunch of those, and then I went back and collected some deep black uh, pieces, which was, I think, I the love first, deep black. Yeah, first AI art on-chain. On um, and I've got those in my collection. I think that those will sort of... I really like just... I mean, aesthetically, they're, they're nothing really compared to like today's like Dali or Mid Journey or Stable Diffusion. But I think it's really great to be able to see, oh, this is what AI art looked like back then. This is what it looked mm -hmm. like in 2019, 2021, now 2022. So 
Uh, I haven't really been collecting much AI art these days. I'd love to own something from Claire Silver. I'm a big, big fan of hers uh, and do more research into AI art and artists. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think it's really, obviously there's a lot of like controversy around it and like a lot of non-AI traditional artists are not happy that, you know, AI people are collecting AI art and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, could you, could you, could you maybe develop why they, they, they are, um, not against oh, it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really understandable and it's really, um, I mean, I think it's coming from a place of fear and maybe unfairness. Um, and also probably like a little bit of, uh, maybe sadness or disappointment that, you know, mm -hmm. people are collecting from machines rather than humans because, you know, art has meant to be something from the soul, something pure, something um, that machines could never do uh, the same way as, as humans. And I think that, and I agree with that to a large extent. And I think that what we're likely to see um, is just AI art will be just another type of art and like splinter off and then people will be able to decide whether to collect art created by humans or created by ai just like you know there's people that prefer to collect art that's painted with a paintbrush and not done in photoshop or people who mm -hmm. you know like to collect photography and people who don't and it's just another tool another way to create art um the the scary part is how it can look like any other type <laughs> so it can yeah it's it can kind of be anything um but yeah i think it's 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 definitely scary. It's, I think for a long time, a lot of people thought that, you know, the creative side of humanity was kind of protected from machines. Like computers did, you had calculators and you had spreadsheets and databases and they did like all of the, the analytical side of stuff, but, you know, artists and, and poets and musicians and, and, you know, the creators were sort of protected. And now we're realizing, oh, that's actually not true. And it's just this massive... <laughs> And it's actually the other way around. If you think about it, people thought that blue-collar jobs were going to be the first one that would be impacted by AI, and now it's yeah. the artists and the creators, yeah. which is fascinating. No one expected that, you know, no. not even myself. And um, But to get back to something that you were saying, I think that, you know, AI art is not just about the machine. It's about the combination of a human plus machine. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't, don't get that already. Like, prompt engineering and architecture is such like a niche type of skill that people aren't even aware of how that AI uh, piece is being created. I think that another thing that I, I kind of have uh, a little bit of um, trouble wrapping my head around is how do you actually judge that an AI piece is of quality or not? Right, because uh, with with generative art, you actually have the generator and the code is on chain, and you can check how complex the generator is. You can compare it to other jobs. Um, it, it it's so much easier to actually say, okay, you know, um, I don't know, Fidenza's generator is just fascinating because you can go and see it on chain. How do you see that evolving? Is there a possibility for us to actually start having you know AI generators on chain or artificial intelligence on chain? Yeah, I haven't actually thought about that too much. I mean, probably at some point. I imagine it's very expensive to put all of that on chain, but I imagine someone will come up with some hybrid smart solution to that. Yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a very complicated, nuanced area that I think, you know, we, we're going to need many, many months, probably several years to really start to figure out like what, what AI art, like what, what is the definition of AI art? And I think that's something that's going to be constantly evolving, just like, you know, the definition of what's on chain is still kind of up in the air and 
evolving. Um, you know, is AI art art where AI, um, you know, you, you input a prompt and then the output is done by AI and that's it? Or is it what if you, you input a prompt to create like a base layer and then an artist comes in and does like 80% of the work on top of that? Is that AI art? Um, what if AI <laughs> creates AI art? So like you don't even come up with a prompt. You just, you know, it just is basically doing stuff on its own which is that starts to get scary but it's <laughs> we, yeah where are those lines and where are those definitions i think we haven't figured that out yet yeah i think there's a lot that we haven't figured out yet what are you most excited about in, in 2023 specifically when it comes to ai because we, you know there's a ton of um, different ai tools that are currently available to the masses gpt4 is coming soon Dali is getting better. Stable Diffusion is getting better. Midjourney is getting yeah. better. You have That's deepfakes. So you have so many different tools. And I think, I don't know, what do you think about that? Like I spend most of you know my time, not most of my time, but a lot of my time every day thinking about that. I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> I think I, I think that most people are underestimating AI and it's going to come at such a fast speed and just going to replace so many people's jobs that it's, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. I think there are a lot of opportunities for people that can understand how to use these tools and like leverage or arbitrage that into providing services for people. Um, like someone's looking for a graphic designer, someone's looking for a video editor, someone's looking for a copywriter. You can just leverage AI tools and do that work for them where you're not actually personally skilled at being a copywriter but you're skilled at using an ai tool that is good at being a copywriter and i think that that's exciting for a lot of people who can find those opportunities and utilize them and um in the grand scheme of things ai is going to unlock a lot of um freedom or like just a lot of time for people because if machines can do all of this stuff well then that means that like from an efficiency perspective humans can focus on other things it's just about like what are those other things going to be and, and how do people yeah just adapt and go from one to the other and i think that yeah it's really it's exciting but i think it's and, and i think that probably 2023 is going to be just a, a lot of novelty um where it's like at the moment it's still a lot of novelty and a lot of people are using these tools and i think it's going to be the year where like most of the world wakes up and realizes how powerful AI is. Mm -hmm. And then like, it'll be the beginning of like a lot of jobs starting to be replaced by AI and new jobs being created. And then 2024 is going to, yeah, just be kind of, it's, I mean, it's hard to tell it's accelerating at such a fast speed. It could be like mm -hmm. halfway through 2023 that it's just like all of this happens, but yeah, it's yeah. exponential growth, right? If you think about it from a Moore's law standpoint, if, yeah. if like the capacity doubles every year and the cost gets divided by two, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've read this book. It's called Scary Smart. It's by Mo Gaudet, who's this guy no, who is at the head of Google Ventures. You should read it. It's pretty fascinating. And he's kind of explaining that um, I think by the end of the 2020s, the um, AGI's uh, average intelligence. So AGI, for the people who are listening to us, is uh, artificial general intelligence. It's an AI that can do multiple different things. Uh, but anyway, he, he's talking about the average intelligence of AGI being equal to the human. And then by 2049... Um, the average intelligence of an AGI would be uh, like comparing uh, Einstein's intelligence um, to a human, uh, to it's sorry, so to, to to a fly. So, oh, wow. so you, you're actually, you know, the, the difference and how it's actually multiplying every single year. Um, and then thinking about how the world would look like in 2049, it means that the artificial intelligence will be uh, as intelligent as Einstein when compared 
to fly when you compare that intelligence to a human, which is which is crazy. But um, you know, I think I think that at the end of the day, um, it might sound scary at first, but um, there's also a lot of things that we haven't really been able to solve when mm-hmm. it comes to the meaning of life, the cosmos, solving you know diseases, being mm-hmm. able to. Um, and still, um, you know, harmonical word governance governance without necessarily, you know, having all of these economical and political yeah. conflicts, and it opens up a lot of like different um, questions, at least that that we might find the answer for. Yeah, it's very exciting. Like we are just interplanetary travel. Like AIs can just go off and and fly to new planets, and they don't have the same limitations of carbon life forms and it's like we're like in a sci-fi future reality much sooner than we think which is really cool but yeah it's scary but cool and i think just being prepared for it is probably the best thing no not that anyone can actually really prepare for it but just mentally trying to recognize that there is a lot of the next few decades are going to be unlike anyone can really predict Mm -hmm. Yeah, buckle up, fasten your seatbelts. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be fun. All right, it's time to move on to the last segment of the show. Uh, as I told you, it's a bit more playful. Uh, so we'll have a round of rapid-fire questions. Some will be harder than others, but mm-hmm. the idea is that you shouldn't think for too long. How does okay. that sound? Sounds good. All right. Let's start with uh, your favorite poker hand. Uh, 10-7 suited. All right, why? I don't know. I just like I won a few pots with it when I was you know, really early starting out and it just stuck as like that favorite hand that I really liked a lot. <laughs> all right, your favorite drop of all time? Uh, there was an FX hash drop called Travelers that I really liked um, and also Daisies on Art Blocks. I'll go with those two. Apes or Punks? Punks. Wow, okay. Uh, your favorite Web3 figure? Snowfro. Favorite Art Blocks drop? I mean, Daisies. I would say uh, Asemica is another one that I really, really, really love. Oh, Meridian. Probably Meridian is actually the Meridian. one that takes the cake. Yeah, yeah Asamika is actually a great one as well. Uh, I think it's under the radar. Um, yeah. Drop that I really, really like. Um, generative art or AI art? Generative art. The most underhyped project in the space. Who? Underhyped. Um, Martian Premier League. I don't know. Well, well, that's why it's probably underhyped. But can you tell me a little bit more about it? <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's just a really star-studded team that, like, the founders worked at um, on Harry Potter, uh, like, on these massive IP franchises, and they've built this wonderful IP with great art, and they're building like a Web three game based on like fantasy football and a really immersive story. And yeah, it's um, really just a really cool project that most people don't seem to know about. What about your favorite Web3 event? So I haven't been... <laughs> I want to say VCon, even though I haven't been there. But just like looking at it from last year and watching everyone that like who I knew went there talk about it, I was like, this sounds like, yeah, it was going to be amazing. So it was the first time where it was an, uh, a Web3 event where the people that are around you are, in, you know, and majority of the people that were around you aren't actual builders and creators of the space, but mm. people who are actually fans of these different IPs that were mm-hmm. present. So it felt like Comic-Con, but for NFTs. And it That's really awesome. felt good yeah. because because you really f- felt the culture, right? And uh, That's awesome. Yeah, VCon is amazing. What about your f- biggest NFT regret? Probably not minting proof passes. Yeah. I mean, I was a big fan of uh, Kevin Rose and the podcast uh, Modern Finance and then Proof. And then it, it just like they launched sort of like a month to six weeks after I launched that Academy. So I was like very distracted and not focused on minting anything and just totally missed that whole opportunity. But uh, 
Yeah. Life goes you on. end up buying in? I did. I did buy in at a okay. much, much higher price, but I'm happy <laughs> to be part of the community now. An emerging artist that you'd bet a Bitcoin on? Uh, Tifatron. I don't know if she counts as emerging. She's been around for like eight, nine months now, but yeah. Uh, what I'll does she bet. do? She does one of one art. Um, really like vivid pastel-y colors, like portraits that are a bit somewhat abstract. It's really, really cool art. Um, okay. Like how, how do you st- spell that again for, uh, for our T- listeners? T-I-F-F-A-T-R-O-N. And our last question, uh, your number one tip to someone who's just getting started in this space. Be patient. That's uh, what I always tell people. It's like, there's this desire to FOMO, to rush in, to feel like, you know, you're re- already really late. You miss, You need to get in now. Otherwise, you know, what if the prices go up 10x tomorrow? And I think that um, just generally there's this real urgency in the space and the more you spend in it like you hop into a discord and people start talking about a project and people get excited by it and you're like oh i I need to get into that otherwise what if i miss out and i think that just taking a deep breath and being patient in everything in this space is really important yeah man it was a pleasure chatting with you i think we should have a second episode uh where you know talk about ai and and you know and maybe maybe in beginning of 2023 we can focus on that and yeah man you know as i said great having you and hope we chat again sometime soon yeah thank you so much this has been a real pleasure that's it a fascinating conversation with zeneca Uh, if you've enjoyed it please hit that subscribe button and help us help you get more of that on the ledger is striving to bring you the best of web3 happy holidays enjoy your time with your family take care see you next time au revoir this content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion, and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research, any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.